I appreciate the remarks that Brother Cody made a few minutes ago, where he said if, if he were the only one, Jesus still would have come. Jesus still would have come, and he would have died on the cross for the sin of one. But the Bible says Jesus didn't just come to die on the cross for the sins of one. He came to die on the cross for the sins of all. I think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in a context where he is condemning division. Interestingly, he says, it wasn't Paul that was crucified for you. In that context, he's saying it wasn't Apollos that was crucified for you. It wasn't Peter that was crucified for you. And so why would you want to be a part of a church that would be established on Peter or Apollos or Paul? He says, that's, that's crazy. You wouldn't want to do that. He said it was Jesus that was crucified for you, and so you would want to be a part of his church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we are told that it is to that church, the church that belongs to Christ, that the saved are added by the Lord to. That's the church that we're looking for. That's the church that we need to be a part of. And again, that's where we're really talking this morning concerning certain things. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes a love letter. A letter to his son in the faith. In fact, in verse number 2 of chapter 1, he calls him, Timothy, his true son in the faith. And certainly that was the relationship that Paul shared with Timothy and Timothy with Paul. Paul had a very close relationship with this young preacher. And so we find him writing this letter. And we find a context of this letter going back again to chapter 1 in verse number 3, where Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia... He said, I urge you to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And so what we find is that there are those in Ephesus that have brought in some kind of strange doctrine, some kind of different doctrine. And Paul says, Timothy, I've left you there that you can straighten that out, that you can correct those mistakes, that you can correct those problems. Sam would say that Paul wrote that letter to Ephesians, the letter that he wrote to that congregation. He wrote while he was in prison sometime in the year 62 or 63. Now, in about the year 66 or so, he is writing to Timothy, who finds himself in the city of Ephesus. And so you find just a few years have passed between his writing Ephesians and now writing to Timothy, who finds himself there in the city of Ephesus, and he is trying to correct issues that are happening there in that congregation of the Lord's people. The big picture that I want us to keep in mind today is that Jesus came and he died and he, he was able and desires for all men to be saved. You circle, underline, star, do something to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. There is the desire of God for you and the desire of God for me. He desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. His desire is for there to be no one who is lost eternally, but his desire is for all men to be saved. That's the desire of God for you and for me and for all in this world. Now, he's writing to those who are part of the church, and he's writing about things pertaining to the church. And what we see is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in those words that Brother Bob read for us a moment ago, he says to Timothy, look, I really want to come there. I really want to be with you. I really want to be with those brethren. Uh, my plan is to come to you shortly. But I don't know how this is going to play itself out. So if I happen to be delayed in getting to you in short order, I am writing these things so that you may know how you ought to 
conduct yourself or behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This morning, what I want you to notice in that verse, verse number 15, Paul says, I'm writing these things. These things I am writing so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself, how you ought to behave yourself. That word ought carries with it the idea of must or of necessity. It is binding. It is proper. And so, hence the title of this morning's sermon, Proper Conduct. I want to look this morning at what Paul has said about proper conduct or proper behavior in the church or by members of the church. As Christians, what should we be doing? What is our behavior? Now, let me state the obvious as I begin today. That if Paul says that this is the proper way that we ought to conduct ourselves, if this is proper behavior, if this is proper conduct, then that means there is such a thing as improper conduct. There is such a thing as improper behavior in the eyes of God. God has not left it up to you and I to determine what is right and what is wrong. He has not left it up to individuals to determine within themselves what they think is proper behavior or what is not. Paul says there is such a thing as proper behavior in the eyes of God. He does have rules. He does have regulation. And it is okay because it is his church. It's not mine. It's not Paul's. It's not Peter's. It's not Apollos's. It's the church that belongs to Jesus. And so Jesus gets to determine, God gets to determine, what is proper behavior. Let's understand that as we get into this. We're dealing with the church of the living God in this context. And he says there is a way for us to behave properly. These things I have written so that you may know how to conduct yourself properly, so that you can know how you ought to behave yourself. So let's just look at some of these things, shall we? And let's understand heading number one, proper conduct or proper behavior when it comes to worship. Paul has been addressing worship throughout this context, and so we see that taking place. And so I want you to see what he has to say concerning proper conduct in worship. Go back to chapter 2 and look at what Paul has had to say concerning proper worship in, or proper behavior in worship. Again, I want to say this. Just because you offer it doesn't mean it's accepted. All right? Just because you offer worship does not mean that God is automatically going to accept it. You say that's a pretty simple point, but it isn't a point that we find ourselves battling. It's a point that we find ourselves battling in in people's lives today. Just because I'm worshiping, you know, just because you're, you're sincere, just because you're offering, it does not mean that God is accepting. Well, how do we know? Well, just ask Cain. All right? Cain, will God just accept any kind of worship that you offer? And he'll say, uh uh, found that out the hard way. You ask Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, hey, Nadab and Abihu, will God just offer any kind of worship? Will he accept any kind of worship? that you offer, and they'll say, uh, no, learn that out the very hard way. No. Just because you offer worship to God does not mean that he is going to accept it. He says there is proper conduct when it comes to worship. 
Well, what is it? Chapter 2, verse number 8. Here's what we find in worshiping properly. This is what Paul has just written. In verse number 8, Paul says, I desire therefore, speaking on behalf of God, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What is proper conduct? What is God going to accept when it comes to worship? Well, he's going to accept men who are leading. Men who are leading. I I, uh, desire therefore that men pray everywhere. It's an interesting word, men. It's different than the word men in verse 4 of chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2. God desires all men everywhere to be saved. That word men carries with it the idea of mankind, male and female alike. In the eyes of God, God says, I don't care if you're a man, I don't care if you're a woman, I want to save you. I want you to be saved. But in verse number 8, he uses a different word. I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, and that word is male. I desire that males pray everywhere. Now, you have to use a little common sense, all right? When when we're dealing with context like this, a little common sense really goes a long way, all right? And throughout this context, we would just draw these very simple points that you must if you're going to use uh, any kind of, of just common sense. I desire that men pray everywhere. So what's he saying? Men, that uh, uh, women can't pray anytime? Well, that's foolish. That's foolish to think. Because we're commanded as Christians to pray everywhere. Pray without ceasing, right? Men and women alike. And we find examples uh, of women uh, offering prayer and of Christians being commanded to pray. So he's talking here about something very specific. I desire that males lead prayer talking here about public worship and the leading of public worship. The context is going to bear this out. But he says, I don't want just any male leading in worship. I don't want just any male up there uh, leading prayer or, or leading in any kind of worship. He says, I want men who are lifting up holy hands. It's a picture there of one who is a Christian. First of all, a holy man, but one who is lifting up holy hands. Hands there referring to a life that is holy. I don't want just any male leading in worship. I want a male who is leading and living a holy life. He's getting very specific, okay? And we would do well to be just as specific as God is. Oh, he's a good old boy. We should just go ahead and let him lead that prayer. Oh, you know, he, he is a, uh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. And so, yeah, go ahead. Let him lead in worship. If I let him lead, it'll encourage him to be more faithful, perhaps. And so we'll let him lead, and maybe that will encourage him to be more faithful. God says, when it comes to worshiping me... I desire that men who are leading holy lives lead in worship. We need to get that. All right? I want to be as specific here as God is. And so that's what he says. This is proper conduct. I want men to lead. I don't want any men. I want men who are leading holy lives. And continuing in verse number 8, he says, I want men who are leading, who are filled without, with, with, with no wrath 
or doubting. New King James says, other translations, disputing or quarreling. I want the man who's going to lead in worship to be a man of peace. I don't want him to be a fighter. I don't want that man up there and people looking at him as those who are leading them in worship, thinking, wow, what is he doing up there? He's so contentious. That's a man who's always bickering. He seems to always be wanting to fight. That's a man that that doesn't get along with anybody. And when he's up there leading, that's all I can think about. And what is it doing? It's distracting from the purpose of worship. And so God says, I don't want that man up there leading. You know, it is impossible to worship when you're angry. I don't want that man up there. I don't want him to be the one that's leading. Okay, but this is the context that we're dealing with. We're talking about proper conduct or behavior when it comes to worshiping God. Paul says, I want a man, not just any man. I want a man who's leading a holy life. I want a man who's leading a holy life who is not contentious, who is peaceful. That's the man that I want leading worship. So, here's the other side of what God says. Verse number 9. In like manner also. That is, dealing with the same context. Dealing with this uh, uh, idea of public worship. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety, moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Stop there. And you see, here's the men. We're going to have males who are leading in worship. And he says, I'm I'm not leaving the women out of this. My thinking very much is with the females of a congregation. And he says to the females, this is what I want you to have on your mind. I I know you're going to spend a lot of time making yourself up. You're going to be out in public, and and you're going to spend time putting your your face on, so to speak, and you're going to spend time uh, laying your outfit out, and you want to put together the right things, and some of you are going to be more concerned about that than others. I get it, okay? But understand what he's saying is, This is really not about you. Whatever you choose to put on, don't let it be a distraction from God. Now, can't we say that that would be proper for males to think also? Again, I don't want the man who's leading up there to be a distraction. I don't want a contentious person up there. I don't want people asking, what's he doing up there? I want them to be focusing on me, God says. That's proper. Females... Think about what you're putting on. Think about uh, modesty, as he talks about here, modest apparel, appropriate uh, apparel. You're not there to show off yourself. You're not there to show off your own skin. You're not there to, to be a stumbling block to any of your brethren who are assembled there. And so you think about those things as, as you're putting yourself together. But at the end of the day, you are professing godliness. What is on the outside is professing what is on the inside. You're professing godliness with good works. This is a part of worship. He said this is proper conduct. Those who are thinking rightly about God and putting all of the focus on him. Then he says in verse number 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. 
I'm looking at these aspects of proper worship. Males are going to lead, not just any male, a male who is living a holy life. Not just any male who is leading a holy life, but one who is not contentious, one who is peaceful. Women, when we assemble to worship, he says, I want you in modest apparel. I want you professing godliness. That's from within, showing it on the outside. And women, I don't permit you to lead in worship. I don't permit you to stand up and take authority over a man. Adam's words? No. Isn't that what your Bible says? And so why would I want to change what the Bible says? Why would we have an interest in changing what the Bible says? The Bible says, I don't permit that. It is improper behavior to allow a woman to stand and lead or take leading role in worship. It's improper conduct. It's improper behavior. Oh, so God is sexist. No. Now, what's his desire? Chapter 2 and verse 4. What's his desire for women? The same as men. His desire is for all to be saved. But he says, I have a role for men to play and I have a role for women to play. And that's just the way it is. And he says, I'll give you the reason. It goes all the way back to the garden. You see, this isn't a cultural issue. Well, just get with the times, will you? It's not a cultural issue. He takes this all the way back to the garden and he says, men, I want you to lead. Women, I want you not to lead because of Eve. It goes all the way back to the garden. You can thank Eve for it. That's what it is. And God says, I'm not changing. I haven't changed my mind in in the thousands of years after the garden. I'm not going to change my mind now. That's the way it is. This is proper behavior when it comes to worship. Now that word silence, you, you see the word silence in verse 11 and again in verse number 12. It's the same word in both verses And it doesn't mean that that you have to be closed mouth and and just sit there and and be like a bump on a log and don't you move and don't you... What he's saying is, the word this is to be attentive, listening, to be engaged. So he says, I don't want you just to sit there and act like you don't belong. He goes, I want you there. I want you very much engaged. I want you listening and attentive. I want you to learn. I want you to grow because you're a Christian. I'm just not permitting you to stand up before others and teach when men are present. Now, November the 2nd, we have a ladies' day here at Westside. And Sister Becky Blackman, who's a wonderful, wonderful Christian lady, she's going to be here, and, and she's going to do a wonderful job. I'm convinced of it. And there are going to be women, maybe even of this congregation, who will stand and lead songs. And there will be women who will stand and, and lead prayers. And there's going to be a woman who's going to stand and, and do the preaching and teaching. Is that wrong? Not so long as there aren't men present. It's not wrong. You see, I don't permit it to have authority over a man. And so as long as it's just women, yes, it is right. It is good. It is proper. And ladies, I hope you'll be here because you'll benefit from being here November the 2nd. But this is talking, we're talking about proper behavior in worship. Now, let's go on to the next point. Number two. Paul says, Let's, I have written these things, and I want to talk about proper moral conduct. All right, so we've talked about proper worship conduct, proper worship behavior. Now, one of the things he's talked about here at length is proper moral behavior. 
And again, this is important in a day and time where people say, you make up the rules, God will change his mind, uh, just do what you want to do. Paul makes it clear that God is concerned with our moral behavior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul is writing to that congregation in Corinth, that same one we talked about a moment ago, and he's writing to this congregation, and he says, I can't believe it, but he said, you actually have a man there, and you're, you're continuing in fellowship with this man, and he has taken his father's wife, in all likelihood his stepmother, and he's having relations with her as if she were his wife. I want you to notice what he calls it. He calls that sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. That is not moral. It's not moral. It is sexual relations that are not moral. And I think we need to understand that. That is, God has said there are things that you can do that are not moral. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, we'll be reminded very quickly of some things that God would say. These are not moral. I don't condone these. This is not proper behavior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a pretty long list there of that which is not moral behavior. It's immoral behavior. And he says, these people, those who, uh, those who uh, do these things, practice these things, are not, he says twice, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Adam, you're just a hater. I promise you, this is what the Bible says. Who are we to change that? God says that's not proper behavior. Well, Timothy, has Paul said anything to you about it? Let's run back over there. He says, these things I have written that you may know how to, or how you ought to conduct yourself or behave yourself as a Christian. Well, we go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And there in verses 8 through 11, Paul says to Timothy, he says, "I, I want you to know something about law. He says, if everybody were righteous, there would be no need for it. What a world that would be, right? If there were no need for law, if everybody were righteous. But he says, you know, as you and I know, only one has ever walked to this earth that was righteous, and that is Jesus the Christ, and he was perfect. And so the rest of us fall into this category of unrighteous. And so he says, let me tell you that the law was given so that we could know the difference between right and wrong. God says, I gave you the law so that you could understand what is proper and what is not. And so you read there, beginning in verse number 8 of chapter 1, and the Bible says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane. Now just stop in that list right there. I know it's the middle of the verse. But here he says, these are things that that are against God. You you see that list that he's just given. They they are ungodly, they're sinners, they're unholy, they are profane. And what he's talking here is about those people who really at the end of the day want nothing to do with God. They say, I'm going to reject all of that. 
I will love myself. And whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. We had some people walking in our neighborhood yesterday, and one of our neighbors on a Facebook page said, the Bible thumpers are out. Guilty. It wasn't me. I should have been. But the Bible thumpers are out. You know, a lot of people in our world look at at people who would open their Bible, have the audacity to do so, and look down on them, right? That's who Paul is condemning here to Timothy. He says these people are unholy, they're profane, and, and at the end of the day, they really want nothing to do with God, and they have, sadly, no regard for God or the salvation that he offers them. They just simply don't want it. But then you see this immoral behavior against people. They're murderers, continuing in verse number 9, they're murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, and they're manslayers, they're fornicators, they're sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, immoral behavior. That's what we have described here. Fornicators, sodomites. What was the sin of the men of Sodom? Homosexuality. That was the sin. And what did God do to the city of Sodom? He rained down fire and brimstone. All right? It is immoral behavior. It is against God and not condoned by God in any way. Now, in chapter 3, Paul is going to give these qualifications for those who would serve in the capacity of elder and those who would serve in the capacity of deacon. And I just want you to skim through that sometime, and I want you to think about what, what of that list uh, is associated with morals, as we would say it. Well, he says, I want that man, that elder, to be a husband of one wife, for example. He's not going to be a polygamist. That's immoral. He's not going to be an adulterer. That's immoral. He's not going to be a fornicator. That's immoral. Having relation with somebody who's not his wife That man is not going to serve in the capacity of an elder. He's going to be a married man, but he's going to be a one-woman man. All right? That's the the qualification that he gives. And you continue on through that list. He is not one who is given to wine. He is not greedy. He is not covetousness. Not covetous. He is not prideful. All right? He is to be moral. That's proper in the eyes of God. Now, the last thing I want to say today... I want you to know how to behave yourself properly, Paul says, Timothy. I want you to tell those brethren in Ephesus what proper behavior looks like. And so I want to show you what proper behavior in worship looks like. And I want to show you what proper behavior morally looks like. And then the third and final thing, which I'm going to touch on more tonight, so I'm just going to say this. It has to do with behaving properly spiritually. Proper spiritual behavior. Worship behavior Moral behavior, spiritual behavior. Let me just say this. God has given us his his word, hasn't he? Hasn't he supplied us with everything that we need? He says, I have delivered to you the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus says in John 8, verse 32, The Holy Spirit, he says to those apostles, is going to guide you into all truth, right? Before he's crucified. And what we have before us now is all truth. As Christians, 
We simply need to have the attitude that says, God, I love you, and I love your word. Ten times in Psalm 119. I was going to read them, but I won't now. You look for it. Ten times in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, in one way or another, I love your word. You have delivered it to us, and I love it because I love you. Proper spiritual behavior is understanding that God delivered us His will and to love and appreciate Him and His Word. My proper behavior with the Word of God then is to take it and declare it to those who are in the world. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. Timothy, preach the Word. That's what it's about. That's my responsibility as a Christian. That's proper spiritual behavior. And yes, my responsibility as a Christian in regards to spiritual behavior is to defend the truth. He has delivered it. I must love it. I must declare it. And I must, I must be willing to defend it. I close with 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good, what? Warfare. You know what he's telling him to do? You defend sound doctrine. You defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. You defend the truth that God has provided. That is proper spiritual behavior. May we strive as Christians to be all about living properly, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. Not because we're interested in making a name for ourselves or because it will prove ourselves to be somehow more worthy of going to heaven. But because Jesus died and he shed his blood for you and I, And because his desire is for us to be saved. And I am not interested in living as man would have me to live, but I am only striving to live in a way that God says is proper. How are you doing? Proper behavior. Are we doing what God wants us to do? This morning as a Christian, you examine your life and you see something amiss. Again, this is about having the strength. And this is about having the will, the desire to simply do what God would have us to do as Christians. Tonight, we're going to look at two wonderful word pictures from verse number 15. We're going to be looking more at the church and, and pictures associated there. But tonight, this morning, as a Christian, you examine your behavior and you see perhaps there is something that's not right. And this morning, you need to make public confession of sin. Or this morning, you need to ask your brethren for help, for prayers, to do better to try harder, to do those things, again, that that God would have you to do. This is not about trying harder and working better and, and all about earning salvation, but friend, this is about striving to be pleasing to God because of what he's done for you. This morning, if you're not a Christian, will you please see what the Bible says must be done in order to be saved? Will you understand what properly must be done in the eyes of God in order to obtain salvation? God's desire is for you to be saved. This morning, will you come believing Jesus to be the Son of God, a willingness to make that confession, 
to repent of sin in your life, that is to turn away from sinful behavior and to turn to God. This morning, will you be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Can we help you? Will you please come now while together we stand and sing?